This is our seventh lesson on the gift of tongues called tongues and interpretation. This is the one where we're going to look at the interpretation, obviously, and have a better understanding of it. We've mentioned it, and a lot of our, our lessons kind of repeat themselves just so we get a very good, thorough understanding of the gifts of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Uh, but we understand that uh, the, the interpretation of tongues and the gift of tongues are probably one of the most hotly debated and most divisive doctrines in the church today, which it really shouldn't be. The Bible lets us know that the gifts of the Spirit are given to profit with all. Profit with all is one word in the Greek. It means basically to give the church the advantage. The gifts of the, that's what the Greek means, to give the church the advantage. And now wonder the devil will contest it because if it gives the church the advantage and you hate the church, you don't want the church to have the advantage. The advantage over what? The world, the advantage over flesh, the advantage over sin, the advantage over the enemy. Well, if you were the devil and you wanted to undermine your enemy, how would you do it? Well, you'd begin to undermine the advantage. And so we're, we're studying this because we are Pentecostals. We speak in tongues. Uh, we have, this church has been a tongue-talking church for 32 years. And there's been other tongue-talking churches in our region for probably over 100 years. Thank God for it. But we need to understand it because I believe there's another wave coming. There's always folks hungry for more of God, but I believe there's another wave coming like there, there has been in the past. And so we just need to be fully equipped. And as I've said previously, some of us will get spirit-filled and speak in tongues and not have a clue and not even care. But others of us, we're going to want to be able to debate and to show from the scriptures and to argue from the word of God and to prove that this thing is very much for today, even as Paul would dispute in the synagogues with the Jews that this Jesus was the very Christ. And so that's why we're covering this. And that way we can also have an understanding when people want to question us. The last thing we need to be is ignorant. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is quite deadly. So that's why we've decided to write these. Plus, I'd never written any curriculum. I really haven't taught on tongues much in seven years of pastoring. So I figured I might as well write a curriculum and do something. So this is the lesson on tongues and interpretation. So we'll jump into our lesson here. The interpretation of tongues is one of the most debated and argued points in all of modern Christendom. This was not debated in the early church, by the way. Because <laughs> every one of Paul's churches spoke in tongues. Amen. And it helps to understand that all the epistles were written by tongue talkers to tongue talkers. And if you don't speak in tongues or have never experienced it or been around the fullness of it in the search, you're, you're going to misunderstand a lot of the passages that are on it. It's like sitting in, I always use the example of engineering because I did that for several years. Well, not, I'm not an engineer, but I work with engineers as a geotechnical geologist. It's like you going in and sitting in on bridge structural design meetings and trying to tell them they're wrong in what they're talking about. No, you're just best just to be quiet. Let the big terms fly over your head. And when they talk about construction, oh, I understand that word. And lane closure, I understand that word. And, and, and uh, bearing capacity, no. Skin friction, no. Uh, global stability, does that have anything to do with global warming? No. Just sit there and wait for the coffee and donuts to come. Amen. We used to have a lot of those meetings when I worked on Smart Fix 40 in Knoxville, and we, we did 27 bridges there in about five years. And they'd always, we had Sergeant Edlin was a police officer I worked with. He was a sergeant. And I just knew sitting in those meetings that 99% of that was just over the police officer's head because that's not his specialty. His specialty is policing. And so I, you know, just smiling at him thinking, all right, you're here for my security, laying closures and helping us deal with the hobos 
that we have to kick out of the woods where I need to drill. And I just, you know, he just had to endure three hour meetings of nothing that meant anything sense to him just to help us with the thing we needed his help in. That's the same with some of these topics, you know. Anyway, just, just to throw that out there. Let us search the scriptures to understand the gift of interpretation of tongues. So before we go into that, let's look more closely at the nine gifts of the spirit. We do have a whole curriculum written on that in specific detail because the gifts of the spirit, you can teach on that for two or three years and not exhaust it. But we need to understand the nine gifts of the spirit and how they're different than the manifestation of tongues that comes with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Remember, one of our first lessons was the four New Testament baptisms. Three of them are for the New Testament believer. The fourth one being John's baptism. That's not for us. That was a transitional baptism preparing the way for Jesus Christ. But one of the three baptisms that is for us is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And one of the initial evidences and signs is that you pray in tongues. But that praying in tongues, we understand, is not one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. And we proved that last week, and we've been proving that all along. And we understand because when you look at the nine gifts of the Spirit, the Bible says very clearly they manifest as the Spirit wills, not as we will. Therefore, we can't turn them on or off as we want to. The best we can do is quench them and just stiff arm them when they want to manifest. It's just like with the gifts of healing. We can't just turn on the gifts of healing. It's not like a superpower. It's not like Superman's x-ray vision or, or heat vision or, or super breath. We can't turn them on or off. They manifest as the spirit of God wills. Same with uh, gifts eight and nine, which is tongues and interpretation of tongues. We can't just turn that on or off, but we know that with praying in tongues as a sign gift, excuse me, as a sign of the initial infilling of the Holy Ghost, we can turn that on and off as we choose to. And we see that proven throughout the book of Acts. They all just prayed in tongues and there was, there was no interpretation there. We need to distinguish between the nine gifts of the spirit and, and then understand just praying in the spirit. All right, you with me so far? The, the gifts of the Spirit are manifestations, which in the Greek means demonstrations or exhibitions. And I think that's so neat because when it, when it talks about the manifestation the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal, it's talking about the exhibition or the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. So apparently there's nine ways the Holy Spirit demonstrates himself in a church service. There's nine ways the Holy Spirit will exhibit himself I used to have a, a friend, a teacher, when I was in, in uh, middle school. He was a uh, competition karate guy. And I actually went to one or two of his competitions, and they always had the martial art exhibition, which you've seen on television in the movies where the guys get out there with the nunchucks and they flip around. And it's just an exhibition. They're not fighting anybody. They're just flipping around, doing their katas and showing off. That's a, that's a, they're just showing off. That's an exhibition. And, and probably in a little bit more of a perverse term, you talk about the exhibitionist who shows himself off and usually gets arrested for indecent exposure, right? The gifts of the Spirit are how the Holy Ghost exhibits himself. It's an exhibition of what he wants to do, and there's nine ways he does that, according to Paul, by the same Holy Ghost in 1 Corinthians 12. So what are the nine exhibitions, nine demonstrations of the Holy Spirit? Well, he shows off with the word of wisdom. We don't have time to cover these. The word of knowledge, special faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, diverse kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. These are nine ways the Holy Ghost shows off in church services, and not just church services, sometimes just on the streets. 
you'll see the Lord Jesus Christ operate in seven of these in his earthly ministry in the Gospels. The only two the Lord Jesus does not manifest is tongues and interpretation of tongues. You'll also see all, uh, the first seven of these demonstrated throughout the entire Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, you had word of knowledge, you had word of wisdom, you had prophecy, you had discerning of spirits, you had special faith, you had gifts of healings. You did not have tongues and interpretation of tongues. And it's interesting that when Paul lists these, he puts tongues and interpretation of tongues as the last two. And many theologians believe that when the Lord makes lists, he makes them in an order for a reason. And so it's interesting because it implies that tongues and interpretation of tongues was added to the new exhibitions of the Holy Spirit. In this church age, it's pretty cool. We don't see any tongues or interpretation of tongues throughout the entire Old Testament, but the other seven gifts of the Spirit you see. The prophets did them, David did them. You, you see even folks we wouldn't call prophets operating in them. But then you come to the New Testament, we get all those seven and two more. It just further indicates how foolish it is to try to say the, tongue, the gifts of the Spirit have been done away with. Because the Holy Spirit's tacking these two on. The Old Testament operated in seven. Jesus Christ operated in the seven. We get the seven plus two more. Amen. These nine manifestations are given to profit the church and to give the church an advantage. That's what the Greek word says, to profit with all. Given to every man to profit with all. The Holy Spirit... Not the individual controls the manifestation of these gifts. So like I said, we can't turn them on. There's a reason we're not laying hands on people right now. Because the Holy Spirit's not there to do it. There's a reason I'm not prophesying right now. It's because the Holy Spirit is not manifesting it. There's a reason I don't see angels, demons, or the Lord Jesus right now. It's because I can't turn that thing on or off. That's the gift of discerning of spirits. And when it happens, you can't turn it off. It just comes on. The best you can do is quench it. That's the best you can do with the gifts of the Spirit is just quench them or not know how to exactly yield with them. And the Lord's okay with you not knowing how to yield with them as long as we're learning. You know, you see that example with Samuel, the boy prophet. He heard the word of the Lord say, Samuel, Samuel, and didn't know what in the world was going on. And he ran to Eli the prophet, excuse me, Eli the high priest and said, you called me? He said, son, I didn't call you. Go lay down. And two or three times that happened. And finally, Eli, the high priest, realized the Lord is talking to the boy. And so when the Lord said, e, uh, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel ran into Eli again. And Eli said, it's the Lord talking to you. When he calls you again, say, here am I, Lord. And so when Samuel finally, as a boy, learned to say, here am I, Lord, the Lord continued his conversation with him. And what he told him was, go tell Eli I'm done with him. And this is a judgment coming upon his home. Um, maybe it's best he shouldn't have learned how to hear from the Lord. Because when, when you do hear from the Lord, you don't always hear sweet pleasantries. Sometimes you hear some bad stuff too, and you just have to take the good with the bad. In this modern generation, we want to paint Jesus as nothing but the good. Amen. We want to paint him as a sugar daddy. He's not the babe in the manger anymore. He's a soon and coming king who will dash the world asunder with his rod of iron. And he is coming with swift judgment. And I'm glad I love him and he loves me and I've been found in him. And you should be too. The believer cannot turn any of the nine manifestations on or off at will. He or she can only quench the spirit by blockading the gifts. And that's why the Bible says quench not the spirit, grieve not the spirit, frustrate not the spirit. And 1 Thessalonians 5, it talks about uh, quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings. And so we understand one of the things churches are good at 
including us, we're not wanting to be good at it, is we're good at quenching the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, and this again is not to, to belittle every megachurch, but some megachurches are so big now and so structured, they have their service planned down to the minute, you couldn't allow the Holy Spirit to move because your, your, your time card, your time schedule would not permit it. I was talking with Reverend Gidley, who was here with us last weekend singing, and he was talking about singing at a mega church up in the Midwest, and he said, they give me the opportunity to sing one song. Why would you fly somebody in with such a great singing gift but, and, and have such a massively stiff church service that you only give him the opportunity to sing one song? Well, you just get warmed up on one song. Dr. Barclay goes to that same church. They give him 20 minutes to preach on a Sunday morning. Dr. Barclay isn't done introducing himself in 20 minutes. So that's quenching the spirit all because you have 15,000 people present and another service after that, you got to usher in and usher out. And what did you give them? Nothing but some ushering. If you want to usher, go to the concert with the guy, but don't come to church because we're here for God to move. And he doesn't always move in our deadline or timeline. So we have to be willing to abort that. But religion, religion says, well, no, 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 look at the clock, look at the clock. And those churches that obey the clock are often the quickest to quench the Holy Spirit. They'll never see the gifts of the Spirit because some things only happen after extended seasons of prayer and fasting. You don't get to boss God around and say, all right, Lord, we got to be out of here by 1230, so if you're going to do something, you better do it. What if he says, I'll show up at 1231? Deal with it. <laughs> Who has known God that he might advise him? I don't advise the Lord. I, uh, I just yield to him. So we can't turn these things on or off. The best we can do, or perhaps the worst, is just blockade them when they're wanting to happen. This must be kept in mind, this truth that it's the Holy Spirit that controls these gifts. This must be kept in mind when understanding the difference between tongues as evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and for personal edification, and tongues as one of the nine gifts of the Spirit for the edification of the local church. And again, for more of these, we have a whole curriculum on the gifts of the Spirit. The very fact that Romans 8 talks about it, 1 Corinthians 14 talks about it, and Jude talks about it, it's a command to build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, lets us know that that's something we can control. We can turn it on or off because we're commanded to do it. So that, again, we're seeing another distinction between tongues for personal edification, for just praying on your own, and then the gift of tongues that manifests as the Spirit of God wills, that demands an interpretation because it's God talking to the congregation or to the assembly. It might just be three or four people, but wherever two or three are, there he is in our midst. We understand there's a difference there, and hopefully we're proving it over and over and over again. You're seeing it proven in the scriptures over and over and over again. Some person might say, well, why didn't Paul distinguish it more succinctly in the scriptures? Well, again, he was writing to tongue talkers who saw it manifested in church. But at the same time, how come Paul didn't talk more about worship in the scriptures? You know, one of the popular local doctrines is we shouldn't have any instruments in the church because you don't find them in the New Testament. Why didn't Paul talk about instruments in the New Testament? You can find them if you look for them. If the pastor is one of the most important local church offices, how come it's only mentioned about seven times in the entire New Testament with really only once in the epistles? Uh, three times in the epistles, but once it's called pastor. Well, it's because it was also already so thoroughly established. I mean, well, that's why we study the scriptures nonstop, incessantly, to show ourselves approved. 
We study it because if you're looking for it, you'll find it. And you'll find the evidence and the proof of it. Amen. Tongues and interpretation of tongues are the only gifts of the Spirit that cannot be found manifesting anywhere in the Old Testament. It is strictly a church-age gift given only to those that have been born again. And Isaiah the prophet prophesied about these. 1 Corinthians 14, 21 says, In the law it is written. Aren't you cool? It's cool. The law talked about tongues. The law. I thought we were free from the law. Well, the law was, that's what Paul said, in the law. With men of other tongues and of lips, and with other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Paul and 1 Corinthians 14 quoted Isaiah in teaching on tongues and the importance of tongues and what tongues are for, a sign for the unbeliever, the Bible says, in 1422. To quote the scripture in Isaiah 28, 11, and 12, it says, "For with, this is what Paul was quoting, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear Notice there he says talking in tongues is a refreshing. That sounds like Jude. It builds you up. It edifies you. Like Romans 8, it, it intercedes for you. But notice it also said, but they won't hear. God's people have always resisted his own rest. Not just the Jews, we do it too. We trust in our own ways. We trust in our own talent. We trust in our own understanding. Hebrews 2 and 3 talk about, therefore I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Here it says, speaking in stammering lips in another tongue, he spoke to the people that would enter into his rest and they would not. And so folks are doing it. We don't, I was at one church and the attitude of the whole church is big church. The attitude of that church is we don't need tongues. We're better than tongues. We don't need that moving of the Holy Spirit. That, what? Did you not study John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16 and realize he's the helper, the comforter. He's the paraclete, the one called along together with against him. We don't need him. What you think now that Jesus is gone, all you need is a Bible. Now, thank God for the Bible. We exalt the word above everything else. But Jesus said, it's better for you that I leave you because if I don't, I can't send the Holy Spirit. But when I do leave you, you will get the Holy Spirit and he will lead you and guide you into all truth. He will show you things to come. He didn't say I'm gonna leave you a book. Now thank God for the book and I'm not diminishing the Bible, but it's what Jesus said. He didn't say I'm gonna leave you a Bible. He said, I'm gonna send you the Holy Ghost for help. That was to his 12 apostles he said that to. He said, you guys are so goofed up. You need exactly what I've got. And you're gonna help write my book. By the same Holy Spirit that you need. <laughs> Amen. With stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, the people who to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. So we understand that the gift of tongues is different from the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit by the precedent that the book of Acts sets forth. We covered that in the last lesson. Paul, here's an interesting thing. Paul even makes a distinction between praying in tongues and speaking in tongues. In two different verses, 13 and 14. So why would he use the word pray in tongues in one verse and use the word speak in tongues in the next verse? 
So there's a distinction there. We know that if, if I'm praying in the spirit, Paul said, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. But now at the same time, if, I'm just, if I stand up in a church and I, and I speak in tongues or I declare a tongue, I got to give the interpretation of it because I'm speaking to you something by the Holy Spirit that needs to be interpreted. But if I'm just praying, you know, why are we so nosy rosy? I'm just praying. I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do for the service. I just happen to be mic'd. I can turn it off if you want, but you know, that means I got to go back here and find it, not knock the thing off or disconnect it. Uh, we just sometimes, uh, we're a little bit more controlish. And as I like to point out, if it's about decently and in order, since when have churches been concerned about decency and order? Have you not seen how children behave in churches? Have you not seen how marriages act in churches? Have you not seen what the counters are doing in the back room or what the teenagers are doing? What about the strife on the choir, strife in the worship team? I mean, if that's what this is really all about, then I think you'd start someplace else and getting the decency going and the order going. Amen. You don't know how many churches the secretary runs the show, the Jezebel. That's not decent and in order, but nobody ever knows about it because the pastor's too ashamed to do anything about it. Now, some of this just comes back to controlling the Holy Spirit. And if you didn't know, even as Proverbs says, you can't quite catch the wind to squeeze it. <laughs> and you're not going to lasso the Holy Ghost and say, this is what you can and can't do. You have to teach people how to properly yield to it. So we proved last week that there's a difference between tongues for the personal edification of the believer that does not require an interpretation because it's not for you, it's for the individual praying. And then there's the interpretation that is demanded for a gift of the spirit called tongues. And so just to review quick, every reference to tongues in Acts is an example of the initial infilling of the believer. No reference to tongues as used in a church service is made in the book of Acts. So there's no example in the entire book of Acts of a, of a tongue and its interpretation. We covered that last week in depth. Tongues is always evident and demonstrated when a believer received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Always evident, always evident, always evident. But you don't always see, if, if it's the same thing as the other nine gifts of the Spirit, you don't always see gifts of healing. You don't always see working of miracles. You don't always see discerning of spirits. You don't always see prophecy. You don't always see word of knowledge or word of wisdom. You only see tongues. And you never see interpretation. So we see something different going on here. Third point, an interpretation is never given, nor is there ever mention made to the presence of any interpreter. There's never a mention in the entire book of Acts of a single interpreter ever present. Fourth point, every instance in the book of Acts of tongues violates the three rules for tongues and interpretation as listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We covered that last week in thorough depth. Every time somebody got spirit-filled, violated every one of Paul's rules because it wasn't two at most by three. It was everybody, 12, 200, 120. And it wasn't at, by course or one by one. It was all at once. And there was never an interpretation. So uh, we proved last week, well, what's going on here? Is, is Paul schizophrenic or is he giving a pass? Or what's the deal? Well, there's got to be something else going on because the Bible is not contradictory. So now let's look at here, the gifts of the Spirit. Let's look at these two gifts, these two New Testament gifts that are added to our pantheon of the gifts of the Spirit. Let's look at these two new ones, the tongues and interpretation of tongues. So from this section forward, we're going to look at the, what are the nine gifts of the Spirit. 
We're not looking at tongues as personal edification. We're not going to look at tongues for the personal edification and prayer life. We're going to look at how they manifest in a local church service because we're going to transition now and see what the Bible has to say about these two additional gifts of the Spirit. All right, you with me? We're covering a lot here. You may have to get the CD or the MP3 and listen to it over and over and over and over and over and over again. That's how you'll catch it. So the gifts of the Spirit, diverse kings of tongues. Obviously, I got a typo there. Though, you know, if you spoke in tongues, they might make you king. I'm actually looking forward to the day Google comes out with an app that can translate anything. Because I guarantee, we'll prove it here in a second. I guarantee there's times when we pray in tongues and it's earthly languages. And I'm waiting because Google, you know, they're probably working on it right now. And just, you know, hit app like Shazam, the app that, you know, listens to music and can tag it for you, which I think is crazy technology. They'll come out, uh, they'll come out with it and you'll be able to just hit, you know, Shazam me and I'll just pray in tongues and you tell me what I'm saying. But probably by then, God will just change it up to heavenly tongues. You won't ever be able to sneak around on the Holy Ghost. You know, well, you know, I don't know. I've often, you know, because I've got the inquisitive scientific mind. I thought if I could go to like one of the big schools that has all the language professors present and just make a panel, you know, like a hundred linguists. Say, all right, I'm going to pray for you. If you've got the interpretation, raise your hand and just start. Yes, sir, you in the funny suit. Yeah. They were praying in this. I think if I did that, the Lord would just change it up to a language that wasn't present. Because you're not going to catch the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a divine utterance, diverse kinds of tongues. This is a divine utterance whereby the Holy Spirit manifests upon a believer to deliver a message. And that's what's critical. Deliver a message. Speaking in tongues. Not praying in the Spirit for your own edification, for your own intercession, but deliver a message. That's why it has to be interpreted. You know, think about it this way. If I'm praying in the Spirit, and we demonstrate that like every service around here, and so do you, you pray in the Spirit, and if I'm interceding according to Romans 8, Lord, please deliver me from homosexuality, and that's what I'm praying in the Spirit. Lord, I don't want to be a homosexual. Lord, deliver me, because that's what Romans 8 says we'll do in tongues sometimes to make intercession. Do you really think somebody's going to need to interpret that? Do you want the Lord to interpret everything you're praying in the Spirit? Because it's personal. It's personal edification. But now what we're talking about here, if it's to profit with all, to give the church the advantage, it's a message delivered that must be interpreted. It must be interpreted because it's to advantage or profit with all. And if it doesn't get interpreted, then the all is not being advantaged. That's why it has to be interpreted. But you have to be spiritual enough and trained enough to understand the difference between the two. This is a divine utterance whereby the Holy Spirit manifests upon a believer to deliver a message in a tongue unknown to the messenger and generally unknown to most present. And I say generally because there's always the occasional testimony, and I have a few of them, where I pray in tongues or give the interpretation in tongues, and a visitor or somebody present actually knows that language. I've got lots of stories that way. I didn't know your pastor spoke Swahili. I didn't know your pastor spoke Russian. I didn't know your pastor spoke Lugandan or whatever the language is. Or, or my story with Jeff Harris praying in Japanese back in college. And Jeff Harris doesn't pray in Japanese, but I understood it with natural understanding. That's one of my favorite stories because we're praying in college and we're just praying in tongues for three or four hours. We used to do that every Friday and Saturday night. And he just, he's praying in Japanese 
And, and I took Japanese and still watch Japanese, movie, Japanese movies in Japanese. And I understand, I understand a little bit, not like I used to. But the way he's talking in Japanese is so formal. He's talking to someone in authority. It's the same way you talk to your boss or your emperor. Because you can, you can dumb down Japanese and be very informal. There's actually three le- levels of Japanese. How you speak with honor, how you speak on the same level, and how you speak to those underneath you. And so he's talking to someone who's high up. And the cool thing is what he kept saying over and over in Japanese is, yes, sir, I understand that. I'll do that. That's what he's saying in flawless Japanese. What was funny is years later, I even heard the same thing in a movie. And I watched how they subtitled it. How did they interpret it? Yes, sir, we'll do that. And so he didn't understand it, but I did, just with my own natural intellect. Amen. Since diverse kinds of tongues is one of the nine spiritual gifts as listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, it is a supernatural ability and it is not the equivalent of being a linguist or multilingual. And some folks will teach that. Well, you just have a knack with languages. That's not the gift of tongues. That's ridiculous. And therefore, it cannot be turned on or off. If you are a naturally gifted linguist, you could just turn it on or off as you needed to. We can't do that. It manifests as he wills, not us. There are two types, two styles of tongues, according to Paul. The Greek word for tongues is glossa, glossalia, or glossa, and it is defined as the language or dialect used by a particular people distinct from that of other nations. It is a language. So when we're praying in tongues, we are praying in a language. It's a language. The Bible tells us that tongues can be categorized into two styles or two types, the tongues of men or earthly languages and the tongues of angels or heavenly languages. Notice what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, people always read over it, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Where do angels live? Heaven, they come and go, we understand that. But they're not Puerto Rican, they're not German, they're not Czechoslovakian, you know, they're, they're not Lugandan, they're not Japanese, they're angels. And yet Paul said very clearly, there's heavenly, there's angelic tongues. There's an angelic language. The tongues, plural, of men, that's plural too, and angels, plural. Well, how many languages is that? Multiple languages of multiple kinds of men and of multiple angels. Paul said, I speak with all of that. He said it in passing on his way to deal with love. But I love how he just kind of throws it out in passing. But it also gives us insight that just because somebody can't interpret it on earth doesn't mean an angel can't interpret it or have the understanding of it. Who knows, you might be praying in the spirit and commanding an angel to go do something for you. Amen. All right, you just kind of all sit there quiet. So then tongues, oh, let me finish the verse. And I have not love, because this is the emphasis of the passage, but we can always pick something out of it. Though I can pray in all these kind of multitude of tongues, but I don't have the God kind of love, I am becoming as a sounding brass or a tinking symbol. And what that basically says to us Pentecostals is just because you're spirit filled doesn't mean you're all that. I'd much rather have love working in my life than praying in the spirit. And sometimes when we pray in the spirit, we're probably working on our God filled love life to love one another, to forgive one another. So we don't get arrogant. And just because we pray in the tongues and pray in the spirit doesn't mean we're mature yet. Amen. I mean, we got our children usually get spirit filled four or five. Are they spiritually mature? No. So then why would we think it's something? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And as I, it was, I think Reverend Keith Moore said, see, if you don't have love, you're a tinkle, tinkle, ding dong. That's how he interprets the verse, which I've always thought that was funny. So get love working in there so you won't be a tinkle, tinkle, ding dong. <laughs> so then tongues is the Holy Spirit using both earthly and heavenly languages to speak and declare the will of God through our mouth, which I think is so cool. There are approximately 6,500 spoken languages in the earth today, and only God knows how many angelic languages. And it's just like God to take all those different languages just to do it just because he can. And the Old Testament prophets couldn't do this. And Jesus didn't do that. Not that he couldn't, but he didn't. It's given to us as church age folks. And it will pass away one day after the rapture. I don't know if folks debate whether it'll happen during the tribulation, but that's seven years. It's a blink of an eye. This is the only age it's given to to accomplish the perfect will of God. Because we have this at our disposal, we ought to be infinitely more accurate in the will of God for our life. And, and we'll cover this in next week's lesson, the eight things praying in tongues accomplishes. I'm fully convinced you'll never fulfill the complete will of God for your life without praying in tongues. Because the Bible says you pray mysteries. What God wants you to do five years from now is a mystery. And you're not gonna accomplish it without praying it out. So if you don't pray in tongues and you don't pray it out, you might miss it. How many folks are going to get to heaven having never finished their course? Paul is the only one that prayed and said, I have finished my course. Doesn't mean Peter and John didn't, but Paul's the only one that said, I have. It kind of leads us to believe not everybody gets to heaven and hears, well done. Not everybody gets to heaven and hears, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And Jesus taught that in the gospels. But praying in tongues does give us that innate, uncanny advantage to get that thing accomplished. And we'll cover that more next week. So there's your two styles of tongues. But the difference here is that with this gift of tongues, one of the nine gifts, it's to declare a message from the Lord to the local church to profit or advantage with all, everyone, the local church. That's why it must be interpreted. If I have a tongue for the local church, it's not gonna be about me fighting homosexuality or me fighting adultery or me fighting nail biting. Whatever personal thing the Lord's trying to deliver me from. And thank God I don't have issues with any of those. Not that nail biting is as bad as homosexuality, but you know, it's pretty gross sometimes. <laughs> Amen. And did you know if you wouldn't bite your nails, you wouldn't bite your nails? And God did make these things called nail clippers. Just, just a little help out there, not picking on anybody. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about one or two people, but I wasn't thinking about that when I used it as an example. <laughs> Amen. No, if, I have a, if it's a gift of the Spirit, it's going to profit the whole church, and it's going to need interpretation. Otherwise, the church is not profited. So let's look now at the interpretation of tongues. Since the interpretation of tongues is one of the nine gifts of the Spirit, as listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, it is a supernatural ability and is not the equivalent of being a linguist or multilingual, and therefore it cannot be turned on or off by the believer. Same rule applies. So this just isn't me knowing several languages. Doctor, or Pastor Titus knows eight languages. That's not the gift of interpretation. One, one man in one theological commentary spoke over 40 languages. That is not the gift of interpretation because 40 languages is not 6,500. Right? Right. All right? So let's look at what the Greek word means, the hermeneia. And that's also where we get our word hermeneutics, the interpretation of scripture. Hermeneutics is how you use the word to interpret itself. It comes from the Greek word hermeneia to interpret. This is to explain in words, to expound, not just the mere cognitive task of a literal translation. So catch the difference there but to explain in words 
not just a word-for-word translation, but to explain, to expound. That's why sometimes when there is a tongues, you think, wait a minute, because you get real analytical like me. The tongues was only like 20 seconds, but this interpretation is going on two minutes. Well, that's because it's an exposition. It's an expounding. It's not a literal word-for-word. And here's also something to tell you, just to share with you, because for, for those that do demand the interpretation, how do you know that the sermon I preach isn't the interpretation of what I was praying during worship? How do you know I, I'm not praying in tongues? And the Lord's showing me, go to this verse and go to that verse and explain these. And, and my, my hour and a half sermon is the interpretation because it's an exposition, an expounding, not a little word for word. Because if you've ever been used of God in that capacity or he's ever shown you something, it could take you months to explain what he showed you in a flash of time. And it was like an instant download. You got it. Now it takes you 15 minutes to extract it and another six months to learn how to use it and then another two years to make a business out of it. We have to understand what the Greek is saying here. Interpretation is not a literal word-for-word translation, but according to the Greek, it it is an explanation. Not just the mere cognitive task of literal translation, but implicit in the interpretation is the idea of explanation. It is an explaining of what you heard the Spirit of God say. There's many Greek words and Hebrew words that take that, like the the famous Hebrew word Hosanna. Hosanna is one word in the Hebrew, but it would take several sentences to explain it to you, and I could preach it for a whole sermon. Hosanna is often translated, sin now, prosperity, deliver now. So when they cried over Jesus, Hosanna to God in the highest, Hosanna, sin now, prosperity, deliver us now, sin now your favor and redeem us from this corruption. That's Hosanna. So he said Hosanna 15 times and he preached for an hour and a half because it takes a lot to explain sometimes what God meant when he said Hosanna or agape or paraclete. These are Greek words that have massive interpretations or like we've been teaching in Wednesday evenings on adokimos or dokimos. And we saw how Wednesday night, adokimos, there's no English word anywhere near the equivalent of adokimos. So it takes a whole hour and a half to explain it. What if I just prayed in tongues, adokimos, 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 and then I went on to give an hour and a half interpretation. Well, this is so out of order. Honey, why aren't you doing what I tell you? Well, so is your marriage. People that live in glass houses shouldn't use the bathroom or throw stones. (laughs) The gift of interpretation is therefore the supernatural ability to explain and expound what the Holy Spirit has said through the gift of tongues. All right, I got to burn real quickly here. The interpretation of earthly languages. On the day of Pentecost, it is evident that every language spoken by the 120 disciples was an earthly language for the crowd that came to see and hear the commotion testified that they did hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So then there are times when just by simple education, a tongue could be interpreted. This would not require the spiritual gift of interpretation. 1 Corinthians 14, 28. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Well, the interpreter is one who operates in the gift of interpretation, but that's given to every man to profit with all, and it's under the Holy Spirit's control. So if there's no interpreter, we'd almost have to ask the question, was there actually a real tongue given? Because God's not going to manifest the tongue without there being the reciprocal side of interpretation. And so if there is no interpreter, you might as well either just find the interpretation or just sit down and say, I missed it. Amen. Amen. 
but let him speak to himself and to God. Tongues must be interpreted when the tongue given is intended to edify the church. There's a difference between tongues for the individual and tongues for the church. When there's no interpreter, we are commanded to keep silent in the church. Order of service, we could interpret church as the order of service, yet we are still permitted to speak to ourselves and to God. So when you speak to yourself and to God, don't you still make a noise? Doesn't say think, doesn't say meditate. Speak to yourself and to God. Amen. So I think that very easily explains it. To me, this is, to me, this is painly, painfully obvious. But when folks have, in my opinion, my doctrine, when they have religious shades on, they're never going to see it. They're just adamant about not participating with what the Holy Ghost is evidently doing around the world. Church statistics tell us tongue-talking Christians, that's the fastest growing sect of Christianity. Uh, we had a, an, an African visiting with us last week, a Methodist from Nigeria, tongue talker. Because you can't tell the Africans who just got born again that there's no supernatural power. They just saw their mother levitate and eat glass. So you get them into the kingdom of the true and living God and you say, well, there's no supernatural power. You try selling that. It's like telling the Eskimo, there's no ice. There is, you just don't know how to find it. Amen. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 14, 13 says, Therefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. We should all pray for the interpretation. Brother Hagin said he could always pray for his interpretation of his own personal tongues and almost always get it. I, I am convinced there's times the Lord won't give it to you because you don't need to know what you're interceding for yourself about because you would freak yourself out. The Lord may be praying that you be prepared for the death of a loved one, that you don't just, your mind doesn't even need to go there yet. Or the will of God for your life in the future. You're gonna pastor a church or you're gonna take over a business or, or maybe someone's gonna leave you. And the Lord's making intercession for that. You don't need to know that right now with your natural understanding. There's times I believe the Lord will withhold it from you because the Lord is the father of secrets and he won't, you know, the secret thing belongs to the Lord as Deuteronomy says. And if he wants to reveal it to you, great. If not, oh well, deal with it. That comes back to that American nosiness. With the interpretation of tongues, the resulting vocal message will be the equivalent of prophecy because it's a divine utterance meant to build the church and encourage it. The combination of tongues with interpretation of tongues will edify, exhort, and comfort. That's what the Bible says prophecy does. It speaks edification, it speaks exhortation, and it speaks comfort. Pray that you may interpret. So let's look at some general rules real quick as we wind this thing down. General rules for tongues in a church service. There are tongues of men and of tongues of angels. There should be no more than three utterances of tongues and interpretation in a service. If the Lord can't get it out in two or three tongues and interpretation, he, well, he's not the one to blame. If no one present is apt to interpret, you should remain silent. Stop interrupting the service or the order of service. Your spirit is subject to you so you don't have to manifest. That's important for everybody to understand. All things should be done decently and in order. One, two, at most by three, let the others learn, as the Bible says. Tongues without the interpretation does not edify those present in a church service, though it will still edify you as an individual. And that's what folks fail to understand. As long as somebody's being edified, that's why Paul said, forbid not to speak in tongues. Forbid not to speak in tongues. What tongues with interpretation will bring forth to a service? The church will be edified. 
we would add comforted and exhorted. It can bring forth revelation, as 1 Corinthians 14, 6 says. It can bring forth knowledge or the word of knowledge or a revelation of God. It can, bring, it, it can be equal to prophecy. It can bring forth doctrine, the Bible says in 14, 6. So these are all the things it can do. We don't know which one it will do, but that's what it is designed to do. So we see all these truths found there. And again, to remind you, there's over 100 verses dealing with tongues and the interpretation of tongues and the gifts of tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have ample scripture to build a sound doctrine if we're willing to look in there and not just bury our head in the sand on this subject. And you guys as Christians, you should know this. This is one of the critical doctrines. This, this, is, this is in the Bible more than water baptism. This is in the Bible more than communion. This is in the Bible more than baby dedication because baby dedication is only in the Bible once with Jesus being dedicated at the temple on the eighth day. So this is a critical doctrine. Why anybody would choose to be ignorant of this, I don't know. I, I, just, I don't get it, but we should not be. If you don't want to speak in tongues, more power to you, but you can't forbid us. Just say, I don't get it. I was a non-tongue talker going to tongue talking churches for about a year. Didn't bother me a bit. I mean, the first time I heard it, I'll be honest with you, it freaked me out because I could hear them. They had like a little prayer room for the worship team and I could hear all that mumbo jumbo coming out. I was like, oh, good Lord, I've heard about this, but now I'm hearing this. But you know, I stayed around and before long, I was like, oh, they're just talking in tongues. Do you talk in tongues? Nope, but they do. Can't you hear it? It's kind of creepy still, but you hang around long enough. It's only creepy because I was raised denominational and taught it was of the devil. So I had a, a bias and a prejudice out of ignorance. But you know, now I see coming up in March, it'll be 19 years I've spoken tongues. I think I've done it every day of my life. I might've missed one or two if I was sick or in the hospital or something in the coma. But other than that, pretty much every day, I think so. But thank God for it. If it's in the Bible, it's important. If there's over a hundred verses dealing with it, I think God's saying, attention, 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 attention. I don't know why we would ignore it unless we'd have to admit I'm just not hungrier to at least study it more. Amen. May God anoint us and our understanding to edify the local church. If you get nothing else out of it, realize this, that everything we do in a church should work to edify or build up the local church, the local body of believers so the body of Christ can be strengthened. We don't just do that through tongues. We do it through preaching, prayer lines, worship, tithes and offerings, etc. Amen. Father, I thank you for this seventh lesson. I thank you for blessing our understanding. Allow us, Lord, to be apt students of your word, rightly dividing the word of truth. Father, help us to pray in the spirit. Help us to interpret our own tongues when we need to. And Father, may we see tongues and interpretation of tongues in our own services more and more. Not just through preaching or through the songs you give us, the Holy Ghost songs, but also through just a good tongue and interpretation to build up the local body. I thank you, Father, for blessing these lessons in Jesus' name. Amen.